that's a head scratcher. It's like, you've got this potential church plant started and you're leaving to go minister to a bunch of rebellious, apathetic, sinful church. Yeah, that's, that's the love of Christ through the gospel through Paul, right? His shepherding care for them. So he gets to Macedonia, he meets up with Titus, and Titus shares the news of how the church responded to his second letter. And guess what? It's good news. And so that prompts this third letter that we now have as 2 Corinthians. All right, so we're arriving at chapter 7, and what he's sharing in this letter is he's, he's rejoicing. He's sharing that uh, he's rejoicing that God has comforted him. So a theme for all of 2 Corinthians, if you look at chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you look at verse 3, let me help you understand kind of Paul's intent here with this letter. Verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Students, what, what word was repeated over and over already? Comfort, okay? Thank you, all two of you. Right, comfort. Right? Now listen, comfort means to infuse cheer, to infuse some courage, to infuse some strength. And you're going to see a really transparent Paul here throughout the letter. He struggles. He talks about there's afflictions externally, there's fears that are plaguing him internally. And what's going to be a source of comfort, listen carefully here, is God, through the work of the gospel, bringing about repentance in the church of Corinth. Yes, the one who caused the offense. Yes, in the one who was offended. But the church is also, you're gonna see evidence of repentance in the church. And so Paul is rejoicing. Now listen carefully here. Paul's rejoicing, not at their response, but the, the response, the fruit of that repentance rejoices Paul because it's the work of the gospel. And you see that often in Paul's letters. In his first chapter, he's expressing a prayer. And it's often giving thanks and praise and rejoicing in God because the work of the gospel is changing people's lives and God's advancing, building the church, advancing the work of the gospel. So it's, I want to be very careful here to point to the real source of comfort, okay? So our big idea here to govern our, our time in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is that God comforts believers with the powerful work of the gospel, bringing about genuine repentance in his church. So when you see Paul here in chapter seven, we're gonna kind of walk through verses five through 16. And as we do, he's rejoicing. He's rejoicing over uh, what, uh, the reunion. He's, he's, he's rejoicing over meeting up with Titus. He's rejoicing over the news he hears from Titus. Finds out Titus has been comforted, encouraged, strengthened, blessed by God. He's encouraged and rejoicing over that. He's rejoicing over the genuine repentance of the Corinthians. And he's rejoicing with Titus over how God has worked. Now, in the midst of all this, number two, Paul gives these descriptions 
over what their repentance looked like. And what that becomes, it becomes a mirror for us to go, this is what genuine repentance looks like. And here's one of the takeaways I'm hoping that you take with you today. And guess what? It's not a list of do's and don'ts. Okay? So that's important to remember. Right? All right, let's get into the text today. Okay. <clears throat> so Paul's joy from Titus's reunion. Let's look at verses 5 through 7 together. Chapter 7. Verses 5 says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. We referenced that already. Verse six, but God, so it starts off with the word but there to create a contrast. So Paul, in one sense, there's two realities going on here. One reality, Paul is feeling this affliction, opposition, weight. He's being squeezed from all directions. Tremendous weight. But then there's, and there's also this internal reality of like fears within, okay? But the second reality is the work that God does in Paul's heart as a result of the gospel work in the lives of the Corinthians. All right, look at verse seven. So verse six, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. Again, did you notice what word is used repeatedly there in verses five and six and seven? Comfort, right? So that's an important theme here. Uh, so in chapter two, let me insert here. In chapter two, uh, he he steps away. He, he's kind of defending himself to the church. And he's telling his story. I got the Troas. Titus wasn't there. I was burdened. I came to you. And then he launches into this like he's addressing an accusation. But chapters 3, chapters 4, 5, and 6, he launches into this philosophy of the new covenant ministry done by the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the transformed lives of the Holy Spirit, the hope that believers have, the separate, distinct lives that get developed in chapter 6. And then he's kind of coming back and he's addressing where he picked up, where he left off in chapter 2, okay? So here we are in chapter 7, and he's, ex he's expressing his joy, this comfort that he has experienced with Titus. And again, I'm trying to get you to think a little bit here. The real source of his joy was obviously not his circumstances, because what was he experiencing? Anybody? Affliction. Affliction. That's a strong word. Lots of opposition. Ideas like you're squeezed. There's weights pressing in from all directions. It's not his emotions. It's not like uh, the power of positive thinking. I'm just going to choose to be happy today. Okay? That's, that's not Paul's theology. In fact, when you read through 2 Corinthians, he's pretty raw with his emotional realities here. And honestly, it's not Titus. It's the news that Titus brings. And it's not even necessarily the, the response of the Corinthians. It's the work of the gospel in the Corinthians that raises and elevates his eyes of faith and goes, wow, God, you're amazing. And, and, and the work through the eyes of faith, seeing what God was doing, God uses that to comfort his heart 
causes him to rejoice. So really, it's God himself who is powerfully at work here, right, as we look at those verses. Okay, so as I mentioned, that second letter, it was an intense letter, right? We, we, we don't have a lot of clues about it. We know it called for uh, some discipline, and I, I appreciate the raw emotion and reality of Paul here as he shares with us, because he's really taking a risk. It's like, this is going to be costly. And let's think about that for a minute. There's a cost either way. If there's a genuine offense, okay, so if I genuinely offend Aaron Mozzarella and it provokes anger, hurt, and bitterness in his heart towards me, there's loss involved. This relationship has been broken and we're both losing out on God's design for our relationship, okay? But let's say I just share truth and love, hoping the Spirit of God would open his eyes, and let's say Aaron gets mad, sticks his heels in the ground, hardens his heart, calls me an idiot, and stomps away. So I took a risk, and there's loss for me. But that's the risk Paul takes in his shepherding care for these Corinthian believers, okay? So this letter, did it create offense? Look at verses eight and nine with me. Verse eight says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, but only for a while. Verse nine, as it is, I, what's the next word? Rejoice. Comfort in his affliction. Not because you were grieved, why is he rejoicing? But because you were grieved into what? Repenting. So notice how he shares initially, sends a letter, he's struggling. Oh man, how are they gonna receive this? But when he reconnects with Titus and Titus gives the news how everybody responds, fills his heart with joy because of a work that God has brought about, the repentance that God brought about in these believers. And he's rejoicing over that. And again, side note, we get some insight on here on rejoicing. It's not a mind over matter. It's a faith-filled response over the work of the gospel in people's lives. Okay? Look at verse 9. Let's finish verse 9. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Beautiful, side note, because they experienced a godly grief, okay? So listen, we're seeing a distinction here already. There's two griefs. There's two sorrows here. And it's gonna be really key uh, to the genuineness of our repentance. And so there was a godly grief, brings about repentance, and he's rejoicing also because neither one of them suffered any loss in the relationship. And let that be a side note again. Let that be a little added motivation to let God restore the relationships in your life so that neither of you lose out on God's design and blessing in that relationship, okay? Okay, so Paul initially regrets but guess what? You could, we could go back to a previous section in the text here. He has a clear conscience. What he shared with them wasn't hurtful. 
in a sinful sense. But he recognized he was sharing hard truth that could have created a gospel-type offense and there would be loss in their relationship. Okay, now let's pick up. Here's uh, the purpose of our time together today. Verse 9 kind of starts transitioning us into thinking through what does genuine repentance look like. And he uses this term, godly grief. All right? So notice this godly grief produces something. Okay? That means there's a prerequisite, a cause-effect relationship. Look at verse 10. For godly grief produces a what? Somebody say it. Repentance. That leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. All right, so notice how verse 10 starts with for. So he's, he's continuing something he's already said. He's giving added clarification, added explanation. For godly grief produces a repentance. So think about this. You hear at camp or you're listening to a Sunday message or you're spending time in the word. Remember the ministry of the Holy Spirit, all right? The Gospel of John gives clarity to us to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit brings conviction. It convinces you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay, so Holy Spirit brings conviction in your life. Okay, what happens next is gonna determine if I have genuine repentance or if it's just going to be superficial, um, short-term, not lasting, not genuine, not the fruit of the gospel uh, work in my heart and life. So we want to understand that connection. And as we see the fruit of each one, right? So if there's a godly sorrow, godly grief, it's going to produce a repentance that leads to salvation, that leads to life that we don't regret. Listen, let me tell you, I do not regret going to my dad as a 20-year-old, sinful, rebellious, pretty new believer, confessing my sin of rebellion, pride, bitterness towards my dad, asking for his forgiveness, purposing to live under his authority. Came back from college to stay with my parents that one summer and just try to serve and be obedient, humble, and God continued to sanctify me I don't regret that one bit. I loved when I walked my second daughter down the aisle. I'm getting emotional. I'm getting old. I get emotional at everything now, right? You watch one of those videos, dad comes home from war and there's a reunion. I'm like, <laughs> so I'm walking my daughter down the aisle and I make eye contact with my dad. There's just so much there's communicated with my dad and I in that two seconds of eye contact, both of us are emotional. And then we feel shameful and we look away and like, you know, we're men, don't do that. I don't regret that one bit because there was godly sorrow that came into my heart when the Spirit convicted me in my relationship with my dad. Now that's a great success story and I'm thankful for that and that's the work of the gospel. But guess what? I have a lot of other examples where I came under conviction and the sorrow that I experienced was an earthly sorrow. And there might have been some change initially, but it was superficial, it was plastic, and it wasn't genuine. It wasn't lasting. So what's the difference? Let's look at a couple 
this is not exhaustive, okay? This is just me processing, thinking, giving you some insight. So what is the difference? Godly sorrow is a grief that one's heart or actions displeased the Lord and didn't respect the testimony of Christ in my life. This sorrow will lead to repentance. Think of it like, oh, my testimony fell short of God's approval. Now listen, let me be careful so that you don't lose your salvation. Romans 8, 1, you're no longer under condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus, okay? But we know the fruit of the Spirit is in all righteousness, goodness, and truth. And when the Spirit convicts, and I sorrow over the damage I've caused, the testimony of Christ in my life, that's gonna produce a repentance to not be regretted, okay? But there's an earthly sorrow, which is a grief, a sorrow. Okay, think about this. Side note, you notice both of them are emotional. Listen, your emotions are real, but they're not always true. We have to be honest and discerning even of our own hearts and our own emotions, right? So we have to be discerning not of ourselves as well as others. Emotions are real, and there's emotion in both of these. These are both emotions, but it helps you gain insight as to what's behind it, okay? Earthly sorrow is a grief that one's expectations of others' approval of themselves wasn't met. I fell short of the world's approval. I'm not good enough, and I really, really want to be. So the idea is I, the conviction occurs, godly sorrow recognizes God isn't pleased with this. I'm going to stand at the beam of seat of Christ someday. And, but you know what? God, thank you that your love covers. The blood of Jesus Christ covers. I'm no longer under condemnation. Lord, I repent. I want you to change me so that I represent Christ more sincerely. Earthly sorrow goes, there's guilt. There's shame. I can tell by this person's response they didn't like what I said. And oh, it's awkward. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I won't do that again. You know, it could be with a parent. It could be with a youth leader, a pastor, a friend. So there's sorrow. I feel ashamed. I feel guilt because I didn't measure up to their expectations. So notice whose approval am I seeking? That's going to be really key. If I'm seeking People's approval, that's going to lead to earthly sorrow when I fall short of their expectations. If I'm seeking to live a life, if I've been bought with a price, I'm not my own, I'm seeking to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord, knowing that I'm, I'm a work in progress, the light of Christ is still shining through my life, when God brings conviction, and my eyes have been opened, and I see this is the flesh, this isn't the spirit, this doesn't glorify God, God changed me. That leads to genuine repentance. Okay, so look at verse 10 with me here. Again, and we'll look at my chart. Verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. All right, so if you look, start at the bottom, the root. So the left column is going to be, uh, I cut my chart short here, I'm missing the title up there. On the left column, this is going to be the godly sorrow that leads to true repentance uh, to not be regretted of. The right side is going to be the earthly sorrow 
okay? So let's start with the root on the left side. I come under conviction, right? There's sorrow. My sorrow is in relation to God. The fruit of that leads to repentance, which leads to salvation, okay? Now, you have to understand, Scripture uses the term salvation, sometimes in a past sense, like I was saved by the Spirit of God. Uh, I am currently being saved from the power of sin, but there's a future salvation when Christ returns. So just take note of that. But this is also true when somebody becomes saved, when the Spirit of God regenerates them, makes them alive in Christ, where they become born again. This is still true. So it's true in all those aspects Okay, but that salvation, that repentance leads to, the idea is that it leads to this life that you have as a result of being saved. This eternal spiritual life imparted by the Spirit of God within you. You have a new nature, right? Godly sorrow, living a life of repentance leads to genuine life. Guess what? That's good news, right? That's why you don't regret it. Man, this is better. Wow. Taste the Lord, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? So as you repent and you're, you're walking in the spirit, you're experiencing the life, you don't regret it because it fills your heart. Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That word blessed means happy. That's what Paul's talking about, it leads to joy. Look at the right side. If the grief isn't Godward, but it's horizontal, where I fall short of others. Let me be careful here. Guess what? That is a, a sorrow over your unfulfilled desire and expectation. Here's what I mean. And I am textbook example of being a people pleaser, right? So you can look at my, those of you who know me really well, you can, you, I'm, I'm sure you can come up with great examples. So over the course of my walk with God, God is changing, refining my motivations, the reasons why I do what I do. Over time, layers come off. But there's a big part of my life where I worked really hard, outcompeted anybody and everybody, at least I tried to. Tried to be the best at everything, right? I was always trying to prove my worth. So I really banked on people's approval, acceptance on my life. I lived for the data boys. Not like I didn't want somebody to go, stand up in front of a crowd and everybody cheers or I wanted a trophy on the wall. I wanted the man's approval. Why? Because what I wanted, I wanted to feel secure and I was placing that in what people thought of me. All right, so then when I had sorrow over falling short of their expectations, the grief is over, I'm not getting what I was hoping to get. Can you see that stinking sin nature, that selfishness caught up in that? Whose image, whose security, whose reputation are you still worried about in that moment? Yours or God's? Ours, yours, right? But when I come under conviction and I experience grief Godward, I'm genuinely sorry that I'm not representing Christ accurately and sincerely in my life. Earthly sorrow, 
is really the sorrows over, I'm not getting what I was hoping to get out of this. I want that approval. I want that appraise from others. Okay? So that leads to a sorrow that's really earthly, temporal, worldly. And guess what? It might lead to repentance. It's superficial at best. Meaning, there's not genuine change there. There's a good chance that I'm going to repeat the offense. And it's implied, rather than experiencing the life that you have in Christ, you experience the lack of that life called death. And guess what? It's implied that you regret. There's regret. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, stupid Brandon, what are you doing? Right? There's regret because it's motivated out of earthly sorrow. Okay? So you see the, the root leading to fruit helps us think through and process What's motivating my repentance, right? The Spirit brings conviction. And again, trust your theology as you are sharing the gospel with somebody, counseling somebody, discipling somebody, advising somebody, right? You can't force them to obey God. As you present the truth in the Spirit of love, you're trusting the Spirit of God to take this revelation, this truth, the gospel, God revealing himself through his word, and it becomes like a mirror. All right, if we have more time, we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4 where Paul talks about that. The glory of God, remember, he even references Moses. Moses goes up, sees the glory of God. His face is shining. People of Israel are like, oh. He goes, but that's not us. We want to show the glory of God. He says the Spirit of God takes the glory of God as revealed through his word and as you look into that mirror, just like James says, you become, eventually you become a doer of the word. You become changed into the same image of Christ. So the Spirit of God brings conviction. And if you humble yourself and you assess and you process and you look at your heart and you are what? Honest. Honest. okay. I'm upset that I didn't get what I wanted, but Lord, the fact of the matter is I'm more concerned about my image and reputation over here. And God, it's not about me. You bought me with a price. You have this beautiful plan and design for the church that Christ will be made known through the church. God, I'm sorry that I fell short of that. But God, thank you that I'm no longer under condemnation. There's a sorrow there that's healthy. That's good. That's good. You humble yourself, you sit in that, and you're honest about it. It's gonna lead to a repentance that's genuine. And guess what? It can be trusted. Let's look at where he goes next. Look at verse 11. We'll pick up, we're almost, we're gonna land the plane here, okay? So that verse let me encourage you to make application here. Use that verse to assess your own heart in terms of your motivation behind your repentance, okay? Look at verse 11. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. All right, so notice this is a list of what that godly grief looked like. This is really going to equip us. You look at the heart, you look at your motivation. Is this godly grief? 
Or is this a worldly sorrow? Look at this. This is not a list of do's and don'ts. These are the expressions of grief over my God's convicting work in my life. Look at this with me. Earnestness. What is that? It's a zeal and willingness to come back into a right standing in a relationship after falling short of relationship devotion. Probably 20 years ago, a dear friend of mine, he's uh, real high up in the uh, Iowa City Hospital emergency response team. Godly guy. I'm so old now that when he was a young guy in my cabin like 20 years ago, he came under conviction to make things right with his dad. He's like, I can't wait till camp is over. He's like, I have to call my dad. His dad lived in California. So it's like 10.30 at night here. He was outside weeping and crying on the phone, setting things right with his dad. That's earnestness. Number two, an eagerness to clear themselves. It's a desire to get a clear conscience. So one's morality rightly represents the gospel. So for about 20 years of my life, I taught and coached in a public school. And good news, my second year, the principal calls me and says, you know what, you handle our hardest, most difficult students better than anybody. Oh, great, glad to hear that. So we got this guy coming back from a boy's home for a year. Uh, He got in trouble with the law multiple times. I'm going to put him in your class every day for the rest of the year. (laughs) (laughs) And so he and I butted heads. And one day I lost it. I just let him have it. I could not sleep that night. Of course he was wrong, but I was more concerned about my testimony. I could not sleep. I came home. I went right to the bedroom, just collapsed. And Lord, I failed. <laughs> I was so, I, first thing, I got to school the next day. I went to a different teacher. I said, you got to call the student in. I'll explain it later. Came in, set things right, made things right. It was, I was eager. It was like priority 1A. I got to set things right. Because I knew that my life had fallen short of representing Christ, this unsaved man. Number three, there's an indignation. This is a strong feeling of resentment or anger over how you, how your wrong disrespected the Lord's name. That's what, this is what it looks like. Before I came to Christ, I came to Christ when I was 18. So before I was a Christian, I was a, I was a pretty good sailor in practice with my language. I came to Christ, it all went away. And I just, I could not stand to hear somebody take the Lord's name in vain. There's like this indignation, like, oh, it, it just sickened me. Like, what are you doing? Man, that, that Savior, don't take his name like that. He died for me, right? That's the indignation. I, I, when God brings conviction, there's godly sorrow. How do I know it's godly sorrow? Because there's this indignation, like, oh, God, what was I doing? That, that is sickening. I am so sorry. Number four, this is alarm, shocked fearful over what I'm capable of. Listen, I had a hard conversation with a dear friend of mine about a year or so ago. We have a lot of history. And he, he was confessing something. He's like, man, I'm just, I just don't see it. I'm not seeing sin and this and this and this. And I said, friend, the more I grow, the more I see. It's worse than I thought. Our hearts are deceitful. They're desperately wicked. It takes an honest, hard look at motivations. What, why am I thinking this? Why am I, why am I being driven to do this? And sometimes I'm like, wow, that's really in there? Oof, that's alarm. Five, 
longing. This is a yearning to be in a right standing with Paul for the Lord's sake. This is what's beautiful about this whole thing. The reason why Paul's rejoicing because God, he knows God's genuinely changing them. He's not even there to see it in person. But he's relying on the testimony of Titus. It's because these Corinthian believers, they longed to be with Paul. Now, that might warm our hearts, but why Paul's rejoicing over that and says, that's genuine repentance. Because listen, when we want things to be right horizontally, that's because things got right vertically. So when you set things right with the Lord vertically, it creates in you a longing to be right horizontally. Number six, a concern. This is just a zeal or fervor of intensity to be rightly devoted again. I love that, right? You, you get a clear conscience with the Lord. There's genuine repentance. God's broken you and you're repenting. There's like this desire. I'm like, okay, I wanna live right. I wanna, I wanna represent Christ. I wanna walk in the spirit. I wanna, I wanna be in his word. There's a new, genuine, sincere concern. And number seven, this is a great litmus test. A readiness to see justice done. Now, this, this is on you, not the other. Ha <laughs> ha, stick it to him, Lord. No, this is, Lord, whatever punishment you wanna give me, I'm okay with. An old friend of mine, he was, he's a lawyer. He came under conviction. He had cheated on some of his law work when he was in law school. He came under such conviction that he didn't care what it cost him. He went back to the dean of the law school and met with the dean and a couple of the professors, confessed all this, explained how the Lord was changing his life, and he asked for their forgiveness. And he says, okay, we're going to revoke your license. And he goes, okay. I knew he was genuinely repentant because he was ready to accept his punishment. A month goes by, and they call him back in for a meeting, and they said, if you were that genuine and sincere about your repentance and being honest and making things right, we need more people like you being lawyers. So we decided not to revoke your license. Isn't that cool how the Lord worked that out? All right, so again, so I'm, I'm called, the text is calling us to, to, first of all, like Paul, rejoice in the work of the gospel as it brings about repentance in all of our lives. I'm pushing you to make application to look at, is my repentance genuine and sincere? Examine the nature of it. Examine the fruit. Can you describe your sorrow over what God's convicting you of with these descriptions? Notice, it's not a to-do list, okay? Because remember, the penalty of your sin has been paid for. That bill has been paid for. You are no longer under condemnation. God loves you, forgives you. You have a new nature, right? You are a new creation, but you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Live sincerely for him. And guess what? God's not gonna leave you the way he found you. He wants to change you. And as he brings conviction, let the godly sorrow produce repentance. Okay, what about the other list? Uh-oh, lost my, okay, oh, thanks, nothing, oh, there we go, good, okay, so what does the other list look like? This isn't an exhaustive list, so in comparison to godly sorrow, genuine repentance, what about earthly sorrow? Well, again, it's going to be pride, a resistance, an unwillingness, 
not taking the matter seriously. And listen, we're all guilty of maybe when you're being corrected, God's humbling you, exposing something, and you're just kind of outwardly compliant. Okay, whatever, and you're, just, you're not taking it seriously. That should tip you off. This is just earthly sorrow. Distancing or a lack of commitment to restore the relationship. Eh, I'll get to it someday. Distancing oneself. Isolation. What does Proverbs say? Every, the one who isolates himself is seeking his own desire. That distance. That's why when moms and dads say something like that, hey, you just, you just seem distant from me. They're recognizing something. Like if you're in a right relationship, walk with the Lord, you're going to want to be close to those relationships that God's ordained in your life. A slowness to act, a defensiveness, a self-justification, an overzealousness to earn approval. So that's like the other end of the spectrum. So one is like this apathetic, eh, whatever. But then there's like sometimes that guilt and shame and we don't get the approval, we try harder. And it's like an overzealous, awkward, really try too hard. It's like, that's superficial repentance as well. Okay? Uh-oh. Okay. Okay, verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me here. It says, I gotta find it. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. What Paul really wants is their hearts restored with God. He wants God. He wanted the letter to be used by the Spirit of God to reveal the sincerity of their desire to be in a right relationship with Paul again in the sight of God. Why is that such a key phrase? Because Paul's being very clear here. It's not for my approval. Paul's saying, you're, you're not trying to win my approval. You're not, yes, I want you to be in a right standing with me. I want to see a genuine desire towards me, not for my sake, because I know it will be you're getting right with God. Uh, and the sight of God also brings in that what he's just talked about in chapters three, four, and five. The Spirit of God changes us as we look into this mirror, the glory of God, where Christ is revealed to us. We see where we fall short but we keep looking to Christ, Spirit of God changes us into that image more sincerely. Okay, look at verse 13. Uh, it says, therefore we are comforted. And he closes all that with, this is, this is why Paul was comforted. He's rejoicing over the work of repentance the gospel accomplished in these believers that infused a rejoicing gospel work in Paul's own heart. He says, and besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. All right, verse 14 reads, for whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true as well. Let's read the last two verses together. Verse 15 and his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. It's not advancing here. Okay, here it is. 
So guess what? Paul had spoken of the believers this way before. He's like, listen, he had this confidence, not necessarily in the Corinthians, but this just proved his hope and his confidence that where they were at, they were genuinely saved. Therefore, there was going to be genuine repentance. The fruit of this repentance just convinced Paul even more of the genuineness of their salvation and their growth in Christ. And notice their love for each other increased, their love and respect for Titus increased. All of that was fruit and evidence that they experienced a godly sorrow over their sin and that produced a repentance. For your application, uh, for your application, I want you to use verses 10 and 11. Let that become a set of criteria in which you take honest assessment of your heart and see, can I describe my sorrow and my repentance with that list? Is there a longing? Am I alarmed at this? Am I shocked at what I'm capable of doing and thinking? Let that produce in you genuine repentance. So Paul knew these believers were repentant and restored in a right relationship to God because of their deep commitment to be in a restored relationship with Paul. God's supernatural work in their lives comforts Paul. The gospel has the power to change us. Godly sorrow that produces repentance, guess what? It's discernible. And that's where you have to take honest assessment of where your heart's at. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it gives clarity. We confess we're not very good at being honest. We're not very good at being sincere. It's so easy for us to conform and just live a plastic Christianity. But Lord, there's no life in that. God, thank you that we're no longer under condemnation. Thank you that you've given us your spirit. Help us discern the sincerity of our hearts. When you bring conviction, may we stop and consider how we have fallen short in rightly representing Christ because we want to do that. We're thankful that you've saved us and you've given us eternal life. We want our lives to count for the sake of the gospel. So use this text to help us to continue to grow in living a life of repentance for your namesake, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.